Zone is presented by Guaranteed Foods, delivering all natural food to Midwestern families since 1958. Enjoy healthier food, more free time, free delivery, and better value. Go to GuaranteedFoods.com. All right, so obviously if you've been online, there's something pretty evident that I need to open the show with today. And frankly, it's outrageous. Wendy's to test surge pricing menu that updates based on demand. Now listen here. We can make this work if you're also going to offer the inverse of surge pricing and let me get a Baconator for like a nickel. But this is outrageous. Welcome into the zone. I'm Joshua Briscoe. Dylan Michaels on the side of the glass. Jason will be back tomorrow. More later. From FoxLA.com. Wendy's is planning to test out a new, quote, surge pricing model similar to what companies like Uber and Lyft do when demand is high. According to the New York Post, Wendy's CEO Kirk Tanner. What kind of name is Kirk Tanner? Cartoon ass name. Wendy's CEO Kirk Tanner. Announced a new system on an investor call earlier this month. Of course, it came on an investor call. Noting the company would begin testing the new pricing menu in 2025. The Daily Mail also reported on the new pricing model, stating that based on Tanner's new plan, the chain's popular Dave's Single Quarter Pound Burger, currently priced at $5.95 in Los Angeles, could see as much as a $1 increase during lunch rushes and could dip during slow periods. Digital menu boards and all of that. We can't let everything be the stock market, right? I Listen, here's the other thing, though. I love value. If you give me a chance to go to Taco Bell and half of the menu is going to be like twice as expensive and half of the menu is going to essentially be half off, if I can get 75 Beefy Crunch Burritos... For $10, then maybe this is good. But if each one gets like 10 cents more expensive because demand is decreasing because I'm buying all of the crunchy beef burritos, then we have a problem. I don't like this for one, two, three major reasons. But damn, if we don't need to talk about it. The, The people need to know this is not a bit. I mean, it's kind of a bit on a meta level, but this is a real news story and something that a real fast food chain is really planning on doing. We'll talk about Chris Jones in a little bit. This show's going to have moments of being real sportsy today for fun reasons. We'll get to them. But first of all, the idea is that the price goes up during a lunch rush. Costs more. To, it doesn't cost anything else. It's the same. Are the employees getting surges in their hourly rates? I know the answer to that one. The answer will be no. Of course not. You're not going to pay your employees more in the rush hour. So will prices decrease equally for less popular items? Is there going to be like my my first job was was in fast food. I know that sometimes 
you, you make some things in advance and they sit in the little like warming tunnel, right? You're just waiting for somebody to come through the drive-thru. I also, I had, here's breakfast of champions, ladies and gentlemen. I had Taco Bell for breakfast this morning. Not regular, like regular Taco Bell, like the breakfast Taco Bell. It's pretty good. In terms of like a fast food breakfast burrito, you know you can trust Taco Bell to make burritos and the eggs taste like real eggs. They got the meat wrong today. It's okay. I needed that radio fuel and it worked out. I'm, I'm still here. <laughs> well, I'm still alive. I'm not turning my nose up at the industry here. I think we all need a little Taco Bell breakfast every once in a while. But I don't, I don't feel great about getting like the 10 cent special mystery bag. If I go to the drive through and there's a bunch of things that are a dollar more than they usually are because of surge pricing, which is never going to affect my um, never busy Wendy's in South Kansas City. I live right by one. Never, never actually busy. Still always slow. It's all right. I get it. But if I if I pull up to the drive through and they say, hey, you can have any of these things for like any, you know, eight dollars for this combo or we'll just give you the bag of things that have been sitting under the red light for about 25 minutes and you can have this whole bag for three dollars. I don't know what I'm going to do in that moment. I'm going to learn something about myself if that opportunity ever reveals itself to me, because I I think generally speaking, I could make a killing off of just buying the dip prices of fast food. I'm not that picky, and I'm kind of indecisive. So if you just say, hey, $2 for the whatever, pretzel bun, bacon, egg, or whatever, that sounds delicious. I'll take it. $12 for that, not worth it. I don't need it. It's okay. But at some point, I'm already several steps ahead in this process. At some point, I'm going to have to ask myself, why is that burger cheaper than the rest of them right now? And do I want to be the person that eats it? And I don't know where I'm going to stand at that moment. So this sounds like a place in Ireland where it's, it's called a st- – I'm sure they might have it here. It's a bar that's ran like a stock exchange where the beers will change prices on the menu. Okay. And sometimes they'll plummet where a shot might be 25 cents. Say. Okay. See, that seems fun. And everyone rushes to the bar. And then it goes back It's up. like the scene in It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> May, uh, Give me a limoncello shot. There you go. 25 cents. Um and then, you know, beers will go to eight bucks or six bucks. And then everyone wants to get different things. So it yeah. kind of entices what you're saying, not being picky. In that circumstance, in a bar setting, like I am walking in here and I am just going to be like holding tickets. I'm going to have two cell phones. Like if you sign up for that, well, we might have some uh, NFL, mild NFL news. We'll circle back around here in a second. Check and make sure we get it. If you go into a bar and you say, hey, welcome to the Stock Exchange Brewery or whatever, um, the buy low, sell high, the, the brood, the I'll brood bowl, up, the brood bear, I don't know. There's definitely a lot of puns you could, you could get there. You want to come into Stock Exchange Brewery and you're playing the game. That's great. That is a selling point to me now. Cause I, I will, I will show up. I will try, I will try whatever's, I, I will buy the dip and eventually I'll, I'll pay, I'll overpay for a nice little, uh, grapefruit beer. I don't know how to feel about that in the fast food context. I feel like it's just code for this is going to make you sick in 45 minutes. It scares me a little bit. I also am afraid that it's just going, if Wendy's can live this way, price gouging's on the menu, baby. And the cost is going up. <laughs> oh, I just, I hate it. 
I want to. I love the bar idea. I hate the idea of this taking over fast food. Yeah, the bar idea is fun because you actually get. There's deals. an advantage to you. There are deals there. Yes. You can try the variety. Yes. Sometimes you get to be the only bar in the world that has 25 cent shots for five minutes. Right. Exactly. And everyone is buying them. Like everyone is going up to get those. So I'm sure that there's some equation they use to where that's really not losing that much money. It's not the 25 bar, cents. The bar. The bar is algorithm. Yes. How about that? There you go. How about that? Dance club and algorithmically generated prices. There's a way for it to be fun. Do you know who I don't think is fun? The Wendy's spokesperson who confirmed the plan in an email to Fox TV stations on February 26th. Quote, at Wendy's, we're focused on providing great tasting, fresh, high quality food and doing it in a way that brings value to our customers. As we've previously shared, we are making a significant investment to accelerate our digital business. In addition to evolving our loyalty program, we are leveraging technology even more with the rollout of digital menu boards in some U.S. restaurants. Are you not? Is, are you, does that not sound delicious to you? Are you not excited? The drink exchange is the name. The drink exchange is great. That's fantastic. It's not as fun for Wendy's to say we are leveraging technology. <laughs> I don't want Wendy's to leverage technology. I want them to leverage a patty, flip it, and then leverage it back onto a bun. Ideally for a price that doesn't change because somebody else also ordered it in front of me. If I got into line and my spicy nuggies are three times the price because in front of me was a family of four that got nothing but a van full of spicy nuggies. I'm pissed. Anyway. They're essentially getting rid of the value menu because everyone's going to be ordering off that. <laughs> right. It's going to rise the prices to normal burger. But like, but like, but whatever's, whatever got made at 3 p.m. will still be seven. It will be 75 cents. There is a salmonella value menu. <laughs> There is a there is a take your life into your own hands value menu, and then there's the rest of the menu. That's essentially what's what's being offered to you now, now at Wendy's or not yet, but being tested soon at Wendy's. I think that's very clearly the biggest story of the day. Also, in NFL news, uh, Ian Rappaport tweets that uh, Ravens GM Eric DaCosta says they will tag defensive tackle Justin Matabuke if they don't get a long-term deal done. But the hope is to beat the tag deadline and to get a deal for the rising young player. Somebody we've talked about a little bit in the context of Chris Jones and the rest of the defensive tackle market. Uh, the franchise tag deadline coming up in about a week. All of that. So, Ravens are going to hold on to Matabuke. We'll come back around to some Chris Jones things in a second. If you were actually on Twitter last night or this morning, or if you're particularly invested in my social media or my life in general, you may have seen the thing that I was going to start with until I remembered that I needed to talk about this Wendy's thing with you. But as wild and as short as it's going to seem in terms of short notice to perhaps you, the listener, as wild as it is, uh, this is my last week at 810. I will uh, be here today, tomorrow, Thursday. And uh, the end of February will be the end of almost nine years here for me. And uh, it's very weird to be talking about that, uh, partially because, I, you know, I mean, if you've listened to me for any period of time, you know how much I love self-involved radio. We just did 10 minutes on Wendy's uh, because it felt like an appropriate lead up. But uh, that's where that's where I'm at now. I've got. Stuff I wrote last night that you can read across my socials and everything at JB Briscoe if you want to get all of the word for word of things that I'm not going to just read my own writing now because that somehow feels even more up my own than just talking about it does. But I've I've been here for 
almost nine years. I have done virtually, if not literally, every job on the on-air side of this building over that time. Uh, started as an intern. I'm in this chair now and did a whole lot of awesome things in the space between. Uh, very proud of almost entirely sports and the show that that was of running ESPN Kansas City and then getting it to nights here on 810. Uh, I've done a lot of post-game shows, which was always a tremendous privilege. I've hosted four Super Bowl post-game shows covering three Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl championships, which, as I wrote last night, I literally never dreamt of doing because uh, growing up as a Chiefs fan, I was dreaming of a playoff win, (laughs) not a Super Bowl win, and certainly not three, and really not being on air as um, one of the first people in Kansas City to get to talk about those and to share those moments with you, the listener, over that period of time. Uh, That still, to me, is kind of bizarre and kind of surreal in a way that I've tried very, very much to appreciate and to not take for granted, but they also still seems so wild that it can't possibly be true. Um, that show always felt like a real, like kind of a serious responsibility. Like I had something to do in that, in that, in this chair, I guess, in the post game over the last several years in terms of like either informing and talking through things with Chiefs fans who were either very excited or very bummed at the end of a, a game. And then the Super Bowl shows were, I mean, again, like to say that those were a dream would have been doing a, a disservice to dreams, I think, or vice versa. Regardless, it's all kind of insufficient to talk about. Um, again, I started as an intern about nine years ago, I mean, nine years this upcoming summer. My first day hosting, again, this same microphone, this same seat over here, first day hosting was a sports Sunday. We we did the show, me and Charlie Carlin behind the glass. We did that from, I think it was 10 to noon, and then right after we went off, and maybe, it actually might have been 8 to 10, now that I think about it. It was, it was a two-hour sports Sunday, because I had done no solo live radio before. And we did two hours of fun nonsense, and I talked too fast, and um, probably had some, some fiery hot Chiefs takes. And then we started seeing news about Jordana Ventura showing up on Twitter. Like, right, I I not closed my laptop. We just sort of signed off, and it was, like, in that commercial break. And I don't even remember if Charlie and I got a hold of anybody or not, but I think we figured out that whatever was on next was, like, automation, and we could go back on air, and uh, we started calling the the hosts around 810, and eventually um, I think we ended up doing coverage the rest of the day with other hosts stepping in. But I will always know the exact day that I started doing this because it was the day that Jordana Ventura died. And it has it has always been kind of, an, uh, again, kind of a surreal anchor for me in the scope of all of, of doing all of this. Because at every turn, my goal has been to have as much fun as possible and educate if we can. But, like, really, it's just, are we having fun doing this? And it started with a couple hours of fun and then some of the worst news we've ever gotten in Kansas City sports history. And in some way, I think that dichotomy is, I guess, I don't know, served me well, maybe the wrong angle. But it's, it was it was a true preview of what the next, whatever, seven years or so are going to be, where so much of this has been having a ton of fun. So much of this has been serious analysis of the sports that bring us all together. 
And every once in a while, something terrible happens or something serious happens. And that I have always viewed as a part of our responsibility as well to be able to handle and and to hope that we have earned your trust as some sort of voice of authority or at least a, a trusted compatriot in whatever it is that we're all working through, be it sports things or the tangentially related to sports things or the completely nonsensical. But in all of that, I'm tremendously grateful for all of the time that I've had here and uh, for having a few more days. Um, but ultimately, and this is a, people have asked like, oh, what's next or why now or whatever, uh, just ended up being the right time. Renee, my wife got a new job and I'm going to still be in Kansas City. And as I also wrote last night, and man, I this is an incredibly, this is not a complaint in any way whatsoever. Because this is, again, the other side of an absolute honor and privilege. But it was something that I realized, um, I don't know, a little while ago, talking to Renee. Renee, actually, her mom corrected her on this one last night. Apparently, Renee has been to Arrowhead once. She was five. But Renee's never, to her memory, seen a game at Arrowhead. And I have never really tailgated. We get great calls from the, the tailgaters post game every week, and that always is an incredible thing to be able to hear. But I realize also I want to, you know, come bother some of you out there in the parking lot next year. I love Kansas City. I love 810. Love this place. Love sports talk radio. I'm, I truly am just incredibly grateful for every beat along the way and I'm grateful that I feel very at peace that this is the right time for me to end up doing something different and I'm not completely sure what it's going to be yet I'm going to keep doing the other stuff I'm going to keep talking Chiefs I will hopefully have many excuses to talk to so many amazing people who work here and I don't know if I'll you know just uh, call in at some point from the tailgate and bother whoever's hosting postgame next year or you know, call in for a little uh, Monday post-game zone uh, phone hour, and maybe it's time for me to work on my character work. I don't know. I might might be able to call in as James Anderson and give some really good takes or something. I don't know. But a lot, of, so much of this has been a dream come true. So much of this has been more than that. And I'm excited to see what the next sort of phase of my life looks like. So that's the uh, the news I shared last night, and I will not I will not lead every hour of the show the rest of the way. I'm already probably more uncomfortable in this space than I thought I was going to be. I would love to go back to talking about Wendy's, but uh, again, I'm so deeply grateful for the years here, the people here, the experiences here. Um, if I tried to rattle off all of the names, I would fail miserably. If I tried to rattle off all of the accomplishments or the things I'm proud of or the show bits I loved, I would fail miserably. And uh, now I'm just going to take a little a little time next to step back and see what sort of creative paths end up calling to me when I have some time to follow them. So, uh, as always, thank you for listening to so much or to whatever amount of things that I have 
done here at 810. We've got a really fun show lined up for you today, and uh, I'll uh, I'll bring the energy the, the rest of the week, and then it'll be on a new phase of, of life for me, and then uh, Jason and Dylan will, of course, continue uh, on with the zone, and they'll figure out, you know, whatever um, changes may come with that. I don't want to, I don't want to put anything out in the water there. I'll, they'll figure it out. And um, I'm sure this show will continue to be uh, fantastic. Hopefully it's not quite as fantastic, like right after I'm gone. Like it would, I, it would personally be nice if it would be a little worse after I left, at least for a little while, just to make me feel better. But if it's not, I get it. I, I would understand, but there you go. There's the news. I can't freaking believe Wendy's is doing that. We'll have Adam Teicher on with us here coming up at 11 o'clock. Also, we have a Super Bowl edition of Sad Fans on Reddit, hot off the presses by uh, the, the master of the art of covering Sad Fans. That was a Beards McFly original back in the AES days, but Iced Pyro uh, delivered a few editions for us here in the playoff run, and uh, there is, in fact, a Super Bowl edition that is being delivered out of the warehouse like the Ark of the Covenant at the end of uh, Indiana. Jones. We are going to bring that out at some point. Again, Adam Teicher will join us at 11 to talk about how much of the combine does or doesn't matter at this point. The Chiefs free agent picture, the reports about Andy Reid and uh, Brett Veach getting contract extensions, and Eric Bieniemy going back to the college ranks. We'll do all of that with Adam at 11. Myron Medcalf of ESPN will be um, in studio with us today. That's the plan, folks. If anything changes, I'll, I'm going to keep. He, he still reserves the right to have heard, you know, the start of this show and think maybe I won't come by. But Myron Medcalf is in town. He was in Lawrence yesterday, and uh, obviously KUBYU coming up tonight. Not sure what exactly his schedule is, but I texted him to make sure he was still good today, uh, yesterday, and he said, "Well, actually." I'll just come on by if you want me. And I said, we will absolutely take that. So Myron Medcalf uh, planning on joining us in studio at 1. And then Todd Lebo will close out the show with us. I say at 1. I met Myron at noon and Lebo at 1. If I said it the other way around, I apologize. So Teicher at 11, Myron at noon, Lebo at 1. Some sad fans in there along the way. And I want to talk about Chris Jones. And um, I know it's not new territory for us to cover, but... There was an interesting um, take on where Chris Jones fits in this free agency that I think makes some good points, makes some less good points, and ultimately leaves us at a familiar spot regarding Chris Jones. We'll talk about that next. All right, I want to talk about Chris Jones, believe it or not. Equally shocking, I was uh, listening to the athletic football show, something I frequently do. And uh, Randy Mueller was on for the, uh, oh, I can't remember what they call it now, the GM show that they do every once in a while with uh, him and Mike Sando. And Randy Mueller did a, a free agency ranking in The Athletic, and um, Chris Jones is high on his list, but he's not at the very top. And uh, he's number four overall, the number two free agent defensive tackle behind Justin Matabuke, who we just mentioned a minute ago. The Ravens have said they will franchise tag him if they can't get a long-term deal done. Now that, listen, I mean, people are talking right now. It's not actually that the tag is on him, and even when it is, stuff happens, stuff changes, so we'll see. But But the Ravens are now saying their plan is... Extend Matabuke if they can, tag him if they can't. Even with that, then, if he's no longer a free agent, Chris Jones would still be the number one rated defensive tackle in uh, Randy Mueller's free agent rankings, and then it would be number three overall. I can't remember who one and two were. I, I will see. Um, but I thought that the 
discussion here between Mike Sando and Randy Mueller and what Mueller says about Chris Jones in this audio. It's about two minutes here. I thought it was really interesting. And sometimes I think it's we will bring you audio when it's like, I agree with everything this guy says. And sometimes we'll bring you audio and it's like, here's the dumbest thing anybody's ever said in the recorded medium. This is neither of those. There's some give and take in this for me. There's some stuff I think is interesting and some stuff that I'm a little bit surprised to hear. Um, but, but here's Randy Mueller talking about Chris Jones and why he's high on his free agent list, but he actually ended up landing behind Matabuke in the defensive tackle side. He's at the top because he's been uh, highest in, in our recency bias. Obviously, he made plays to determine the Super Bowl. So yep. I think Chris Jones is really good. I think he is top-notch for a bunch of reasons. But I do know what teams do when they start to put together their plans and how they kind of go about their criteria. Age is an issue. Trust me. Age is an issue. And when you go watch Chris Jones' film individually, you might see – a player, and I know this to be the fact uh, when he was in college too. And I'm not again beating up on Chris Jones; he was the fourth guy on the list. But there are plays when he's less than engaged. <laughs> there are plays when, <laughs> and I'm trying to be nice here. There are plays when he picks his spots. Yes, very much so. Picks his spots, and everybody says, "Well, he let him pick his spots. He saved two touchdowns." I get it, <laughs> but. My point was that's probably the reason he's worth more to Kansas City than another team because they know what they're getting. They know how to deal with it. They know they've got to take the bad with the good, and they're okay with it. But if you're another team, are you going to pay $30 million for a part-time player? Probably not going to happen. It's probably unlikely that he, one, would go there, uh, and two, that they would be accepting of everything that they're getting with Chris Jones. So the the – body of work in its entirety isn't all, hey, let's pay $30 million. This guy's the greatest ever. It's just not. That's not real. Yeah. So that's kind of where I came down with him. And, and you, you talk about Matabukwe. He's an every-down, hard-playing Jesse man who can rush the passer, who can do all kinds of crazy stuff that at a younger age, I think oh, yeah. will probably get more money on the market um, other than just the public narrative of, of, like you said, Chris Jones is great. He should get paid whatever. They can't afford to lose him. I agree with all those. But I think for Kansas City, he becomes more valuable than another team would put value on him. So as uh, Dylan pointed out, the phrase hard playing Jesse, I don't think I've ever heard that, but that sounds like a former general manager. I had to check when this came out, actually. <laughs> Um, Randy Mueller was a, a longtime um, front office member, and then he was the GM of the Saints, then GM of the Dolphins, and uh, then the GM of the Salt Lake Stallions. So, you know. um, executive of the year in 2000. But if you are anything like me, if you have any of the similar headspace on Chris Jones, now you know what I mean when I say that clip has some stuff that I nod my head at and some stuff I shake my head at. Recency bias doesn't really mean anything to me. Uh, I don't think it's recency bias for Chris Jones to talk about Chris Jones as being outrageously impactful. Um, we've had that conversation every offseason because he keeps having great playoffs. The one playoff game he wanted back was the, the Bengals AFC Championship game, and then he came back like a menace after that. If, if NFL teams think that Chris Jones is being somewhat overrated right now because of recency bias? That's fine with me because maybe that means his market's a little bit lower, but that doesn't really mean anything to me. 
age is an issue. That's totally fair. It, it's a huge issue for what teams are going to look to offer him and and what he sacrificed by playing last year under that one-year deal with the incentives and all of that. It's another reason that he should have taken the best offer he got last offseason. I cannot imagine that this entire process is going to end up serving him well, despite the fact that he was an incredible football player last year and despite the fact that the Chiefs let him play in a meaningless final game to get one more bonus. Part-time player is totally unfair. Part-time player is unnecessary in every scope of that turn of phrase. He's not a part-time player. He is more impactful in the fourth quarter. It seems like there is an uptick in intensity there. It's not him being a part-time player. It is a fair thing in his like full scope of who he is as a player. He's out there so often. And he is making plays throughout the course of a game. But if you want to say, I'm, I'm cool accepting this. If you want to say that Chris Jones is like conserving energy through the first through third quarters so he can be a, a maniac in the fourth quarter, I will take the means that get to that end. And it's not in any way like he doesn't care about football or he doesn't care about winning or he doesn't care about getting to the quarterback. The, the, the Chiefs talk all the time about high football character. And Chris Jones would not have stuck around as a building block of this team if he didn't have, air quotes, high football character. So part-time player is unfair. But then as Mueller says also, so yeah, you know, let him pick his spots. I get it. But that's why he's worth more to KC. And he went on to say later, you know, he should get paid. He can't, the Chiefs can't afford to lose him. He agrees with all that. But then the thing in the middle of those two thoughts is the thing that I think is now most interesting in terms of the actual feasibility of re-signing Jones and what his market's going to be. I don't know the answer to this question. Randy Mueller seems to. Do other teams have concerns about Chris Jones that the Chiefs would not personally have? Are there actually teams who would look at Chris Jones's body of work and would say, yeah, we're actually going to scrape off a few million per year because we don't feel like you're giving 100%, 100% of the time? Or that you're not as reliable on rundowns as we'd like you to be. So we're not going to pay you for the peak of your performance. We're going to pay you for that that whole sum altogether. The wild thing there to me still is that if your view of Chris Jones is that he slacks off and doesn't care about run plays, and is always freelancing, and doesn't care until the fourth quarter. Like, if you want to extend all of the, at this point, frankly, I believe, like, overplayed tropes about Chris Jones, if you want to extend all of those to the furthest reaches of of viability, is he or is he not the best interior defensive lineman in football? 
is he or is he not the third most important player of this Chiefs dynasty? Is he or is he not the best defensive player on this Chiefs team? Has he or has he not been the best Chiefs defender on this team through this entire era of this dynasty that's been built? You can have those questions, but no matter how loudly you ask him, he's never going to turn into a $12 million a year player. <laughs> that's that's not what he has been. If he continues to be the guy he's been, he's he should make $30 million a year. Now, again, the age and the drop-off that could come with that, that's real. That's something that I do think you need to be like taking into account and acknowledging that's going to impact his market everywhere. Again, I think it's another reason that the Cats brothers screwed him over last year is he sold a year of negotiating youth, essentially, to now get here again this year, more or less played out under the franchise tag last year, essentially. And I mean, not just a one-year deal, but had the incentives, all of that. Again, he played a great season of football. They won the Super Bowl, and his market still today is worse than it was at this time last year because he's a year older. So I I still don't understand how those negotiations got to where they did and then fell apart where they did. That still feels like mismanagement to me on a variety of levels. But even if you count yourself amongst the Chris Jones skeptics or haters or whatever. He's still been this guy the whole time. I hope, and this I guess would be unfortunate for Chris Jones on some level, but I'm being selfish on behalf of us and the Chiefs. I hope that the Lions say, hey man, we love you, but you're a couple years older than we wish you were at this point in, in hitting free agency. We're afraid about your effort, and we're not sure if the other young defensive linemen in this locker room are going to start also slacking off when you do. They won't, I'm adding parenthetically now, because they're not Chris Jones! And if they, Because if they do, and they don't perform, they're going to get cut, or they're going to fall down the depth chart, or they're going to find somewhere else to be. Chris Jones has the luxury, or frankly, our conversation about Chris Jones has the luxury of discussing him being less impactful in the first three quarters than he is in the fourth quarter because he's so damn good in the fourth quarter and he has been a dominant defender and the most important defensive player in what we can now all agree is a Kansas City Chiefs dynasty. He was the best player on the defense with Tyron Matthew. He's the best player on a defense with Legereus Sneed and Trent McDuffie. He's been one of the best defenders in football, and he has been I don't I, I can't possibly overstate this. He has been so important to what the Chiefs do defensively. And I understand that if Chris Jones walks, and instead of having $27, $28 million tied up in him this year, the Chiefs are going to have $27, $28 million to invest in other free agents, and they will bulk out the defensive line. But right now, this defensive line has one starter. One. 
and is George Karloftis. I don't mean just a last-year starter. I mean a starting-caliber defensive lineman under contract who will be healthy to play in Week 1. Charles Minahu, just he's a great player. He would have certainly been two, but coming off an ACL tear, suffered in the AFC Championship game, you imagine he's probably starting the year on the pup list. I, I would love if his recovery went so well as to make that not the case. But right now, that's what I'm expecting just to be reasonable about it. Felix Inudike Uzama would love to see him take the next step. But be real here with me, everybody. FAU's next step is to step up into a rotational role. Felix was a super, super part-time player on the level of Malik Herring. And he got, what, seven snaps in the Super Bowl, and he made a nice play. Tackle for loss. That's great. Happy to see it. Happy as the next guy. But when the playoffs came around, and the Chiefs needed an an active defensive lineman, it was Malik Herring, not Felix Nudike Uzama, and not B.J. Thompson. B.J. Thompson's next step is to be a very part-time player that shows some growth. Kind of the Felix role of this last season. Felix's role needs to be to be able to get some meaningful snaps. That does not mean that he should be starting. If the Chiefs think he can, again, I'd be thrilled, but I'm not penciling him in there. They traded a sixth-round pick for Neil Farrell. He barely saw the field, although when he did, he looked pretty good and huge. They drafted Keandre Coburn in the sixth round. He's not a Chief anymore. The Chiefs have George Karloftis on that defensive line. And this isn't how it would work, but if you gave me this option, I think I'd go this way. If you said, all right, Josh, you got $28 million. Give me 30 so I can, you know, have a million or two left over. You got $30 million to put three starting defensive linemen on the field there. At least for the short term, and this depends on the guaranteed money and years for Chris Jones and all of that. But if you're going to give it to me in the short term... I'd spend $27 million on Chris Jones and then find myself rotational, maybe a couple of veteran pieces, Neil Farrell and somebody else. Maybe it's Derek Nottie, maybe it's somebody different. Bring back Tershawn Wharton and then go find yourself the veteran edge rusher who's going to sit on the other side of George Karloftis and eat some snaps. If he's your Melvin Ingram, Carlos Dunlap, you're, maybe this year it's Emmanuel Ogba, I don't, you find that guy who's looking for a ring, who's not going to command a ton of money, and then you keep drafting. You let Felix get some more work, even maybe more than I'd be comfortable with. I would make that trade to have Chris Jones in the middle. If you tell me the alternative is that I get to have George Karloftis and then three average starters across the defensive line along with Karloftis, I think is an above average starter. I would rather have Chris Jones. I would rather have the dominant force. I would rather have the elite player in the middle there that completely changes how defenses have to prepare for the Chiefs. And I don't I don't think that's like a super hot take. I don't I don't think that that's outrageous or outlandish. But it recalibrates for me how important Chris Jones is for this team. That's nothing that we cannot overlook even if I kind of hope that other teams do begin to overlook that. So that's what I thought was interesting from uh, Randy Mueller's breakdown there. We also touched on this yesterday, talking with Sterling about it all. But 
the best way to continue to buy yourself future flexibility from a roster building and salary perspective is to keep having rookies who are starting for you. You know what the Chiefs probably aren't going to have to pay for this year? A third safety at all. You can either just hold the Justin Reed or extend him. But then it's rookie contract, Brian Cook, rookie contract, Shamari Connor. Boom. Done. You know what they could do if they wanted to? Not pay a corner. Rookie contract, Trent McDuffie. Rookie contract, Joshua Williams. Rookie contract, Jalen Watson. Rookie contract, whoever they pick up in the fourth round who's starting by week 12. Nazay Johnson maybe gets the, the run again. God, like, would it surprise you at all if Echo Boydo was a quality number three or four corner at this point next year? No, of course it wouldn't. Because the Chiefs develop guys like that. You can't develop a Chris Jones right now. We'll talk about that much more with Adam Teicher of ESPN. We'll keep breaking it down throughout the show. Joshua Briscoe and Dylan Michaels with you here in this edition of The Zone. One thing we failed to do yesterday when Sterling was here is I wanted to have a brief meeting of the Mike Dana fan club. And Michigan man. Michigan man. And I have no idea if this is right or not, but Sterling at one point, I think it was in a break, right? Was it said, have you, have you seen the Mike Dana um, salary market value projection on Track? I said, no, Sterling, I hadn't. Um, but I had been thinking that he's, I think he's had me guess at one point. And I've been thinking, you know what, if if the Chiefs ended up poking around and, and maybe his market's not huge because he's a role player, he's got flexibility, he can do a lot of things, and play a lot of different roles, but he, he's not like some, you know, dominant edge rusher. And you go get the PFF table for this too. But Michael Dana's spot track uh, calculated market value is it? Average annual salary of $16.7 million. Market value, three years, $50 million. I, that feels so high to me <laughs> that I legitimately think, like, don't, don't put that in ink. I, I need to cross-reference it with some other projections because that feels so inflated to me. Where I was thinking, like, well, maybe, like, maybe, like, a little two-year, like, what, a little two for twelve. Like, what's Melvin Ingram make every year now at this stage in his career? And that might not be fair because I don't know. Dana can play a lot of snaps because he can play in multiple roles. But I am, I am now recalibrating a little bit again. That is not gospel. But I am recalibrating a little bit for the possibility that. Melvin Ingram's one-year, $4 million sort of average, as I'm looking at now, is probably not going to be sufficient for a, obviously, of course, younger, first contract hitting free agency Mike Dana. The thing that makes me wonder, though, is what is that market going to look like? Because elite players don't hit free agency very often. That's why it's really hard to build through free agency. Good players reach free agency, and then eventually some team pays the most, and oftentimes that ends up being an overpay because you're bidding against other teams. It's just how negotiation works. 
The thing I'm doing now is wondering is, you know, the Chiefs coaching staff wasn't picked off by other teams after the Super Bowl. But I do wonder if some of these pending free agents are going to see higher price tags in the open market. And if they do, this Chiefs defense is going to look pretty different. We'll talk about that and much more with Adam Teicher of ESPN next.